0: Chapter six of The Gambler by Catherine Cecil Thurston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter six. Without ceremony or apology, Clodagh led Milbank to the stables by the shortest route, which entailed the traversing of several long and windy passages and the crossing of the great draughty kitchen, where Hannah, the housekeeper, cook, and general mainstay of the establishment, held undisputed sway. As they entered her domain, she was standing by an open window engaged in the cleaning of a saucepan, an operation to which she brought an astonishing amount of noisy energy. At sight of the stranger, she dropped the knife she was holding, and made a furtive attempt to straighten her ample and somewhat dirty apron. "'I wish I Miss Clauda!' she began, in a voice that trembled between chagrin and an inherent sense of hospitality, "'isn't that a queer thing for you to be doing now?' "'to be bringing the gentleman down here, and me in the middle of me pots.' "'Not but what you're welcome, sir, though tis no fit place for you,' she added, with a glance that summed the intruder up from head to heel. Milbank laughed a little awkwardly. "'So long as you make no objection,' he said with amiable haste, "'I see nothing to find fault with.' But Hannah gave an incredulous shake of her head. "'Ah, you do be saying that,' she replied sagely. "'But tis a queer place you'll be finding, Orristown, after England.' She added this in a persuasive tone, making a tentative cast for the stranger's sentiments. But before the fish could rise to her bait, her attention was claimed in another direction. A pellet of mud, aimed with extreme accuracy, came flying through the open window and hit her on the cheek. Milbank glanced round quickly. Clodagh laughed, and the victim of the assault gave a gasp, pushed her saucepans aside, and thrust her head through the window. "'Wait till I catch you, Master Larry!' "'he cried across the yard. "'How can I be doing the work of six women and three men "'with the likes of you trapacing about? "'Pon my word, I'll tell on you. "'I'll tell your uncle on you. "'Long threatening comes at last.' "'But the only response that greeted her "'was a smothered laugh from the stable's opposite, "'a laugh which Clodagh involuntarily echoed. "'Instantly Hannah wheeled round from the window. "'Ah, Miss Clodagh, isn't it a shame for you?' "'She exclaimed tremulously. Isn't it a shame for you now to be encouraging the brat of a boy? Short sure, as the third time he thrung his marbles of mud at me this morning. So, signs, I'll spake to the master. I will so. She gave her apron a defiant tug. Milbank stood uncertain and embarrassed, nervously curious as to his next move. With a certain misgiving, he saw her face brim over with delight. Then, with a sense of complete amazement, he saw her step suddenly to the side of the indignant Hannah. "'Throw one arm impulsively round her neck, and give her a hasty kiss. "'Indeed you won't speak to me, Hannah, and you know you won't,' she said in her most beguiling tones, "'and you'll make a griddle-cake for lunch, just to show you aren't angry. "'Come on, Mr. Milbank, Larry is waiting.' As they crossed the kitchen, Hannah defiantly passed the corner of her apron across her eyes, and ostentatiously resumed her interrupted work. At the door, Clodagh looked back. "'Hannah!' She said persuasively. Hannah began to scrape her saucepan. Go on with ye now, Miss Clauda, she cried. Short as a pair of ye that's there, I'm out wid ye. But the griddle cake, Hannah? Let Betsy over at Mrs Ashton's make griddle cake for ye. Maybe she wouldn't put up with master Larry as aisy as me. Of course, Betsy would make a griddle cake at any time, said Clauda promptly. Only we couldn't eat it after yours. For a moment, Hannah made no response. Then she gave another disdainful whisk to her apron and attacked the saucepan with renewed force. Clodagh said nothing, but took a step forward. Her cheeks were bright and her eyes danced with mischief and amusement. As her foot touched the paving stones of the yard, Hannah raised her head. "'I suppose twill be at one you'll be wanting the lunch,' she said in a suddenly lowered and mollified voice, and Clodagh responded with a laugh of triumph and delight. Outside, in the sunshine of the yard, she laughed again. Hannah's is an old duck,' she said. "She's always getting as cross as two sticks, and then forgetting all about it. Nobody could help teasing her. "'But where's Larry gone to? "'Larry? Larry?' There was a pause, a stamping of horses' hoofs, and the sound of a voice whispering affectionate injunctions to an unseen animal. Then young Lawrence Ashlin emerged from the stables, leading his chestnut cob. He was a well-made, long-limbed boy of fourteen— "'with skin as smooth and eyes as clear as Cloda's own. "'Hullo, Claw!' he exclaimed. "'That was a straight shot, wasn't it? "'Was she mad?' "'Pretty mad,' responded Cloda. "'This is Mr. Milbank. "'He came last night.' Young Ashton eyed the stranger frankly, and without embarrassment. "'You're not at the meet?' he said with involuntary surprise. i be there, only Mother doesn't let me hunt yet. "'She thinks I'll break my neck or something,' he laughed. "'But I'll go to every meet within twenty miles when I'm a man.' he added. There's nothing as good as hunting, or except sailing. Are you much of a sailor? Milbank looked back into the bright, fearless eyes and healthy, spirited face, and again a touch of aloofness, of age, damped him. There was a buoyancy in this boy and girl, a zest, enthusiasm, outside which he stood the undeniable alien. Yes, I am fond of the sea, he responded, but probably not as you are fond of it, Try as he might to be natural and pleasant, his speech sounded stilted, his words stayed. The boy looked at him doubtfully. "'Didn't know there were two ways of doing it,' he said, rubbing his face against the cob's sleek neck. But Clodagh came to her guest's rescue. "'Larry doesn't deserve any credit for liking the sea,' she said. "'His father was a sailor. You go on to the field, Larry,' she added. "'You'll find Lance waiting there. I'll saddle Polly in a second, and be after you with Mr. Milbank.' "'Run now, you're only wasting time.' "'Larry hesitated for a moment. "'Then he nodded. "'All right,' he acquiesced. "'Only don't be long.' Instantly he was gone, Clodagh handed her whip to Milbank "'and darted into the coach-house, "'reappearing with a saddle over her arm "'and a bridle swinging from her shoulder. "'You're not going to saddle the horse yourself,' "'he exclaimed in consternation. "'Let me call one of the men. "'Please let me call one of the men.' "'Clodagh laughed. "'There's no one to call,' she said. "'Burke is the only proper man-servant we keep, "'and he drove into Mosquia for provisions "'as soon as he brought the bay round for father. "'You don't think I'd let any of the labourers touch the horses?' "'As she said this, she laughed again, "'and, nodding gaily, passed into one of the stalls. "'After she had disappeared, Milbank stood silent, "'listening with an uncomfortable embarrassment "'to the soft whinnying of the horse, "'the soft murmuring of Clodagh's voice.' the straining and creaking of leather that reached his ears at last yielding to his instincts he stepped forward and spoke again miss clodagh let me help you he said i'm afraid i'm rather useless but you might let me try again clodagh's soft humorous laugh answered him it's done now she said and anyway i've known how to saddle a horse since i was 12 I stand back a little please he drew back hastily and she led out a small grey mare she isn't much to look at, she exclaimed, but she's grand to go, and I know she's going to win. She must win. She kissed the animal impulsively on the soft, quivering nostril. Together they threaded their way between the scurrying fowls and innumerable dogs that filled the yard, Clodagh leading the mare, Millbank keeping close to her side. What is this race for? he asked, as they passed through the arched gateway. A mere trial of strength? Clodagh's eyes widened. "'Oh, no,' she said, "'that would be silly. "'There are stakes, of course. "'Larry's Telescope against my Irish Terrier. "'The telescope belonged to Uncle Lawrence and is a beauty. "'But it's nothing at all to make. Mick. "'Mick is a pedigree dog, six months old, "'with the finest coat and the loveliest head you ever saw. "'If I lost him!' "'But here she stopped. "'It's unlucky to say that, isn't it?' she added quickly. "'Of course I'm not going to lose him.' "'Again she turned and fondled the mare.' and a moment later they came into view of the long, level fields that lay between the house and the sea, and saw the erect figure of Larry clearly silhouetted against the sky, as he sat his cob with the ease of the born horseman. It took Milbank but a few minutes to place himself in a safe and advantageous position on a ditch, that dividing two of the fields was to form the last jump of the race. And once ensconced in this pleasant and not uncomfortable seat, he watched the cousins move across the fields to the point where little Nance was waiting to arrange the preliminaries. He saw Tony mount the grey mare, observes the one or two inevitable false starts, then became conscious with a quickening of interest that the race had begun. Had he been possessed of the humorous quality he would undoubtedly have been drawn into a smile at his own position. As it was, he saw nothing ludicrous in the idea of an elderly student seated on an Irish ditch playing umpire to a couple of children. As the horses started, he merely settled himself more securely in his seat, and drew out his handkerchief in obedience to the instinct that some expression of enthusiasm would be demanded by the winner. He could not picture himself raising a cheer as the conqueror sailed past him, but his dignity affably bent to the idea of a friendly wave of a handkerchief. A slight breeze was blowing him from the sea, and the intense freshness of the atmosphere again obtruded itself upon him as he watched the horses swing towards him across the fields, the thud of their hoofs upon the grass gaining in volume with every stride. For a space they galloped neck to neck, then slowly, almost imperceptibly, Clodagh drew away. For a couple of seconds the distance between the animals became noticeable, then young Ashlin, urging the chestnut, regained his lost position, and to Milbank's eyes the two were again abreast as they crossed the last field. Once more he settled himself in his place of vantage. Something in the freshness of the morning, something in the youth and vitality of the competitors, gave the race an interest and attraction it would otherwise have lacked. With a reluctant sensation, half curiosity, half the alien's unaccountable attraction towards conditions of life other than his own, he found himself straining his eyes towards the two slight figures moving towards him across the short grass. Nearer and nearer they came, maintaining their level positions. Then, as the last ditch became clearly into view, the grey mare seemed to gather herself together for the short final gallop and the jump. Leaning forward, he saw Cloda straighten herself in the saddle, as each stride increased the advantage she had gained. Unconsciously, with the nearer pounding of the hoofs, the excitement of the moment touched him, but it touched him with disastrous results. As the mare neared the ditch, he suddenly leant forward, losing the balance he had so carefully preserved. The action was instantaneous, and it was but the work of another instant to grasp the sturdy weeds that topped the ditch and regain his position. But unwittingly the harmless instant had changed the result of the race. As he voluntarily steadied himself, the handkerchief, held in readiness for the victor, slipped from his hand and fluttered down upon the grass. It fell at the feet of the grey mare, She paused in sudden alarm, then hunched herself together, and shied away from it as from a ghost. No harm was done. Clodagh kept her seat without a tremor. But in that second of lost time the cob drew level with his rival, then sailed triumphantly over the ditch. For Milbank there was a moment of horrible suspense, and a succeeding relief that drove all thought of the race and its result far from his mind. Immediately the field was clear, he scrambled from his position, and hurried to where Clodagh was soothing the still-frightened Polly. "'Miss Clodagh,' he began, "'I am so sorry. I assure you it it was not my fault.' Clodagh was bending low over the mare's neck, her flushed face partially hidden. She made no reply to his confused and stammering speech. "'Miss Clodagh,' he began afresh, "'you're not angry? You don't think it was my fault?' Clodagh laughed a little tremulously. Of course not, she said. How can you be so silly? I hadn't her properly in hand, that was all. As she finished, young Ashlin cantered back, halting on the further side of the ditch. His face was also flushed, and his eyes looked dark. Look here, he said, eyeing Milbank. What did you mean by balking her like that? What were you doing with your beastly handkerchief? T'was no race claw!' But Clodagh looked up. "'Oh, yes, it was,' she said. "'It was all my own fault. "'I hadn't Polly in hand. "'I should have pulled her together "'and sent her over with a touch of the whip. Apologize, Larry. T'was a fair race.' "'But Larry still hesitated, "'his glance straying doubtfully from one face to the other. "'On a bright claw?' he asked at last. Cloda nodded. "'Then I'm sorry, sir,' he said frankly, "'for saying what I said.' "'Milbank made a murmur of forgiveness.' and a moment later Nance appeared upon the scene breathless and full of curiosity. As Larry entered upon a voluble account of the finish in reply to her eager questions, Clona wheeled the mare round and trotted quickly across the fields in the direction of the house. For a moment or two Milbank stood irresolute. Then a sudden impulse to follow the mare and her rider seized him, and ignoring Nance and Larry, still absorbed in heated explanation, he took his way slowly across the green and springy turf. His crossing of the field was measured and methodical, and he had barely come within sight of the arched gateway of the yard when Clodagh reappeared, this time on foot. The tail of her habit was tucked under one arm, the struggling form of an Irish terrier was held firmly under the other. She came straight forward in his direction, and reaching him would have passed on without speaking, but he halted in front of her. "'Miss Clodagh,' he said, "'you are hurt and disappointed.' cloda averted her eyes i'm not she said shortly but i see that you are no i'm not miss cloda you are can't i do something then at last she looked at him her cheeks were burning and her eyes were brimming with tears that only pride held back it isn't the old race she said defiantly it's-it's mick two tears suddenly welled over and dropped on the red head of the dog who responded with an adoring look and a wild attempt to lick her face. "'I've had him since he was six weeks old,' she cried impulsively. "'I reared him and trained him myself. He knows every word I say.' Milbank suddenly looked relieved. "'Is that all?' he exclaimed cheerfully. "'Is that all? Well, soon put that right. Keep your dog. I'll settle matters with your cousin.' He glanced back across the fields to where Larry was walking the cob to and fro. But Clodagh's face expressed intense surprise. "'But you don't understand,' she said. "'Mick was the stake. "'Twas a fair race, and Larry won. "'Mick is—is is Larry's now.' He laughed a little. "'Oh, nonsense! "'You raced for fun!' "'Yes, for the best fun we could get,' she said seriously. "'That's why we staked what we cared most about. "'Don't you understand?' For a moment her grief was merged in her unaffected surprise at his lack of comprehension but Milbank was staring at her interestedly. The scene at the breakfast-table, and with it Ashlyn's offended pride and ridiculous dignity, had risen before him, with her soft, surprised tone, her wide, incredulous gaze. With total unconsciousness she was voicing the sentiments of her race. And Ashlyn might neglect everything else in the world, but his depths of honour were sacred things. He looked more closely at the pretty, distressed face, at the brimming eyes, and the resolutely set lips. And simply because you state him, he said, you intend to lose the dog? Clodagh caught her breath, and a fresh tear fell on Mick's head. Then, with a defiant lifting of the chin, she started forward across the field. "'Twas a fair race,' she said, in an unsteady voice. End of Chapter 6